Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Annette Franz. She has over 30 years of customer experience. She is the CCXP and founder and CEO of CX Journey Incorporated. It is an internationally recognized customer experience thought leader, coach, keynote speaker, and author of Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in the Customer Experience and at the Heart of Your Business. And she's built, or she's written other books too. She's a certified customer experience professional. There's a reason why she's on Converge Coffee because I have said customer experience at least five times. Annette, <laughs> thank you for being on the show. How are you? I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm great. I was looking forward to our conversation. So I'm excited about all the great things we're going to talk about today. I am too. And we had to, we had to reschedule because I was running a half marathon right. and a lot of things happened. I got stuck downtown. I'm like, I can't make it. And I'm just grateful on your flexibility. Like that's kind of the big thing about podcasting is matching the hosts and guests. And thanks to Alex over at Podmatch, we'll do a little shout out to him. But I think we're just going to dive right into things because in the ecosystem today, like we're noticing companies are cash negative. They want more cash flow. They've built things in assets. There's inefficiencies to things. Big tech companies like Salesforce, HubSpot have lost at least 30% revenue because they haven't, they've implemented but not fulfilled and there's big things that are going on. And so we wanna like, I think the guests wanna know like your origin story first. Yeah. And then we can move into like the big, what's going on, the atmosphere, what the heck is going on with companies these days. So yeah. the first question out of the gate is, why did you start CX Journey? Yeah, all, all those reasons. <laughs> Everything you just said was was uh, would line up very well with with why I started. The actual the actual backstory is, you know, I've been in this customer experience space for this is my thirty first year. Uh, started at JD Power and Associates back in the early nineties, and I had been, you know, spending a lot of time running consulting services organizations within software vendors and and other things, and and. I've always wanted to just step out on my own and start my own business. And, you know, the time was right back in early 2017. And so I, I did just that. And it, it allows me to work on the kinds of projects and the kinds of engagements and the with, with the kinds of clients that I want to work with. Right. So that's the beauty of it. Um, you know, and I focus on three different things, right? It's soup to nuts, customer experience strategy, which includes culture, the employee experience and all of that. And then, you know, speaking and then content work. And so again, doing all the things that I love to do, you know, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to say, you should be a teacher. You should be a teacher. And I was like, nah, I don't want to be a teacher. That, that, that doesn't sound like anything that I'd really be interested in, but ultimately, you know, after 30 years, that's where I'm at right now. And, and I love that because there are a lot of up and comers, a lot of new folks entering this customer experience space who don't have a lot of the background and don't know a lot of what we've been through to get this profession to where it is today. So it's, it's been a fun ride so far. I love it. And that's when I started Converge Coffee right about the same time in 2017. I think it was kind of awesome. that, um, that pendulum effect of like moving away from modularization and optimization and automation yeah. over into more personalization to things. But you've, you hit up on something too. Um, like our parents, our grandparents, our relatives know us pretty much the best in the sense of they've seen us when we were little. And I've noticed a dynamic shift even in your content is that there are less strategic idea thought leaders and there's more people who are being more thoughtful and being more of a resource yeah. to other yeah. folks. And so this goes perfectly into the next question is using that in the sense of being a more resourceful leader. Um, what should leaders in companies 
thought leaders who are, are doing things within the companies, anybody who is, is a thought leader within the company is, you know, what should they be looking for with customer expansion and retention? Because those are kind of been the two things in the sense of how do we get the quantity, but then how do we keep them? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's, there's this great, it's a great question. And I think there's this great statistic from Bain and it's from 2005, right? It was, you know, 80% of executives, you know, feel like they're delivering a, a superior experience. And over here on the other side, we've got 8% of customers saying they do, right? So that there's this huge gap between what companies think and what customers think. And I think there's a there's a there's two reasons behind that statistic. There's probably a lot more, but two big ones, right? And the first one is this focus on growth. I mean, we we need to grow, right? We need to expand our customer base. We need to do all of that. But if it's this relentless focus on growth, 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 because it's sexy and it's it's easy to report those numbers to your CEO. It's easy to talk about how much we're growing. Um, but we also need to talk about how do we take care of the customers that we already have, right? So that's the retention pieces. So there has to be more of a balance between that acquisition and retention. And it's got to be um, less of a focus on let's just report out the numbers and talk about how quickly we're growing. Because what ends up happening is if we start to just focus on acquisition and, and that growth and everything, we tend to forget about the customers that we already have. And so we give up, we give the freebies, we give the promotions, we give the discounts to to the new folks to bring them in. But if we don't take care of them after we've brought them in, they're going to be running out the back door faster than you can bring them in the front door, right? And so it's really important to, to balance that. The other thing that I'm seeing too, as, a, as a, a reason behind that, or the second reason behind that is around that focus on metrics. And if, if leaders, if the company, if we just focus on metrics or we just focus on, you know, chasing NPS or chasing whatever your KPI is, then we're not focused on the customer, right? And, you know, you know, I started, like I said, I started at JD Power and Associates back in the early nineties and, and back in the day, you know, the car dealerships were really guilty of, Hey, <laughs> you know, we, you're going to get a survey. And I think they, they still do that today. You're going to get a survey after this purchase and here's, you know, a candy bar, here's a free oil change. Here's a free car wash take, take my firstborn, but just give me this rating of a 10 out of 10. And it's, that's bad for the customer experience. And it's bad for the employee experience. Because what we're doing is we're focusing on the number and we're gaming the system just to get that metric, just to get that score. And we're not focusing on what it takes to really deliver, design and deliver a great customer experience, which is ultimately going to lead to a great score. So I think both of those impact both, you know, acquisition and, and expansion and, and, and retention. And I think those are, that's probably the shortest answer that I can give on answering your question. <laughs> and we could talk about that one for days, right? I'm, I'll even narrow it down. We're focusing on variables rather than the goal. Yes. Well, this is true. That's a great point. Yeah. That, and like when you, you hit upon things, it's like, how do, how do we dictate and how do we control variables when sometimes yeah. you cannot control variables? And, and that's what I've run into with, you know, being in, in the data world and that kind of stuff too, is a lot of people are like, Hey, this causes this. And I'm like, yeah, if you want it to cause it, if you force it to cause it, and then again, if you're trying to force an NPS or NPS score or something, yeah. it's not a true indicative of the observation of, or what is actually happening. Absolutely. So it's like more so of like, how do you correlate that? So I think that that which leads perfectly into the next question yeah. is it goes into the correlation, but more so of how do you orchestrate rather than control? So how, what is yeah. what is journey orchestration, and well, how can marketers and, and what have you you've mentioned before in like JD Power and, and other companies you've worked 
at or and worked with. Can you give some examples on that? Yeah, you know, it's 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 a great concept. It's a great approach and it's a great tool that a lot of people don't still don't really know what it is or how powerful it can be, right? And it's if you think about the definition of orchestration, it's really about um, planning or coordinating everything that's happening so that you get the desired effect or the desired outcome, right? Which we were just, just talking about, right? So it's, it's taking everything that you know about your customers and knowing where they are in their journey with your organization, whether it's during a specific interaction or it's the entire relationship and getting out ahead of that, right? Using the data, using what you know about your customers to, and, and knowing, again, if you're doing it in the moment, knowing where they are and what their desired outcomes are and guiding them in the right direction, planning, you know, planning the elements so that they achieve their desired outcome. Um, it's, uh, lost my train of thought on that one. I will come back to it. But, <laughs> but the important thing is, is that as an organization, you know, we use what we call next best actions. We are there with them to recommend the next best action so that they achieve their outcomes, whether it's uh, an, an offer is presented to them or they're just guided down the path that they need to take to achieve those desired outcomes. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about some great examples. I was on a, or actually host a talk show for a client and we recently did an episode on journey orchestration and the specific episode was about healthcare. I, th I think we, we referenced um, CBS in that particular episode and talking about how they help patients, you know, again, traverse that journey to achieve their desired outcomes. I've seen it happen in retail. I've seen it happen in the contact center where we help, we help, or just as you're contacting customer service, helping them traverse, you know, to, to get to where they need to be so that they can achieve their desired outcomes in a customer service instant. It's getting resolution in a retail instance. It's finding the product that you need to solve the problem that you have and, and ultimately buying that product. So a lot of different use cases for that, but it's a powerful tool that enough organizations I don't think are using yet today, but um, it's becoming much more popular and more talked about. The key is, and I always say, you know, at the heart of data is at the heart of designing and delivering a great experience. And you know, without, and I think that's one of the challenges with journey orchestration right now is that people have, our companies have so much data. They have so many, you know, disp disparate legacy data, you know, everywhere, which is um, making that a challenge to orchestrate journeys. So there is a lot of work that still needs to be done for many organizations to actually be able to do just that. But uh, it's a powerful tool that really does help customers achieve what they're trying to achieve. I love the analogy in the sense it just popped in my head. I hate it when people say, let's fly the airplane and build it too. Right. <laughs> and there's going to be so much design flaws in that. There's not orchestrating. It's not like, hey, let's look at the airplane. Look at what, what, what do you want to achieve? Do we want to achieve being faster? Do we want to achieve more comfort? Do we want to achieve yeah. more capacity? What is the ultimate goal? And it goes back to, again, goal orientation. Like what are the, what do we want to get to? And yeah. then we'll... Or making a bike like my bike path. I was gonna throw the Tour de France in there because your last name, and I was like, you know what? It's like making the bike path. Like, what is the bike path for what you want to people? It's like don't yeah. like change people's perspective right at the last minute, and then they get detoured and they go and get they crash. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think about a train track and speaking. Wait, you just said track crash, so that is not 
no relation there, but, but I think about a train track, you know, how I, and I forget what the things are called, but it, you can divert the train to go in one direction or the other. And I think that's really a good analogy for how journey orchestration can work, right? Marketers can use it to, if somebody's on a certain path, presenting them with certain offers, presenting them with certain messages, presenting them with certain, you know, whatever, so that they encourage and guide the customer in the right direction to buy something or to use something or whatever. And so I think that's, that's a really important, a really important part of this. Yeah, I think so too. And I think this is perfect segue into the next part of the episode where we share your story. Like what are some examples of you walked, like you, there's a certain, like, there's a certain build or lack of orchestration that you walked in with a company and what was kind of the turnaround? What were kind of the, um, what were the own customer feedback from your customers of what happened? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there have been a lot of examples of that <laughs> and they're not all, you know, so walking into, I'll just step back and say, you know, every time that I start working with a new client, I interview the leadership team, I'll interview some employees, and I'll interview some customers because I want to get a, you know, sort of a baseline assessment of what's really going on because they'll they'll come to me and they'll say, I have this issue or th- that issue. And what ends up happening is, oh gosh, I've got to sneeze. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. I'm, I'm hoping you're editing this out. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's okay. human. We we all need to sneeze sometimes. Good thing you're good thing you're not driving a car, driving a train while you're where you're doing this, right? Because we'll get derailed. So there you go. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Oh man, that now and then it just went away just like that. Um, no, but so I do those interviews, right? And I come back and I'm like, okay, here's what's going on here, right? you thought we were going to go down this path. And I'll I'll use an example of one client where the CEO said, you know, we just have issues with communication, right? We just have issues with how we communicate with our customers. And and it was so much deeper than that, right? It was issues with how you communicate with your employees and how you teach them to, you know, interact and work with each other, not teach, but the culture that you have that embraces collaboration and, and how we talk to each other and everything. And that also then obviously translates into how they're going to interact with customers and, and, and the customer experience. And so, so spent two and a half, three years with this client, uh, you know, implementing their strategy. And in the end, you know, they, the outcome was, was pretty amazing that the turnaround, the retention, you know, turnaround of the business, but retention of customers and customers who said that, oh, we can't deal with this anymore. We're leaving. It was a B2B situation, right? We're, you know, we're leaving. And that didn't happen because they learned so much and they took the time to just embrace the culture that they needed to have, let go of some leaders that didn't make sense for the culture they wanted to have and, you know, move forward with that. And, and I've been in several situations like that startup, you know, have worked with some startups where, you know, they're very product focused, product centric. And, you know, you go in and you're like, well, this isn't going to work. Right. Or, or another example where I went in and they didn't really know who their customers were. You know, they, they had a third part, you know, a third party, they've got resellers to sell their, their software. And they, they were designing the product for their resellers. And it's like, well, they're not ultimately the ones who are using this, right. You know, the end customer is. And so again, taking the time to, and this isn't, this ties back very nicely to orchestration, right? Because it's taking the time to understand your customers, who they are, their pain points, the problems they need to solve, and then redirecting 
their thought process and what they were going to do uh, or, and how they were going to approach things to ultimately achieve the outcome that they needed to achieve. So, so yeah, that's, uh, and I've got, you know, several clients and several stories like that where ultimately they were like, Oh, I see this now. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> do you think the reason why, um, companies or leaders jump right into product market fit and trying to automate and modularize things is because they ultimately just want to scale it and hands off. Yes. Is that kind of the process of, and, and I mean, ultimately like there has to be, there has to be hands on in the sense of even yeah. when you're, even when you pick up the phone, even, you know, chat functions, like there's a certain capabilities and chat functions that, that just don't yeah. get the human interaction that you need. And, and that's been my experience, exactly that. And I think that um, they forget that they're actually designing a product for someone who has a problem to solve, right? And I, I get so many folks who come to me and say, hey, you know, I've got this great platform. I've got this great idea. And my first question is, what problem are you solving for your customers? And, and, and they think more about the product and, and what the product can do without really thinking about is there something out there like that already is what problem is this going to solve? Do they have this problem? Does anybody care? You know, and I think there's such a big part that is often overlooked, you know, and then, then, you know, your whole analogy about, you know, building the plane while you're flying it, that's what ends up happening is, is suddenly they realize there is no need, there is no, there is no fit out there. And so now as they're, you know, three years in or whatever they are, they're like, okay, okay we've got a shift we've got to pivot and we've got to make these changes because nobody's buying it or, or if they're buying it, they're not using it because it doesn't meet the needs that they thought it would. So happens, happens all the time. And they scramble and they keep, and they, and they keep making the same mistakes and they get into this repetitive cycle and then they're out of money or they can't expand product lines. And yeah. So you've seen that too, haven't you? (laughs) Oh, I've been in that, um, in that mess. And, and, and luckily like, I think it all comes down to, and, and from my experience, it all comes down to the candidate experience. Everybody yeah. kind of over has overshadowed that. They're like, yeah, we're, we're helping our, the employees, we're helping this. And I'm like, yeah, but who are you bringing in? Right. What's the experience like? Because if you yeah. are not building a great candidate experience, you're not building a great customer experience because mm-hmm. the interaction from inside out needs to happen within the company and top down too. Absolutely. So you, you've mentioned you, you've done a lot of customer experience work. You've done a lot of things. Um, And so this is kind of like seeing what makes you tick. And I think this is is the part of the episode, the about you, about Annette, is, you know, why do you do what you do for work? Like why, and and other, and even going a level deeper in there, what have you found in the sense of going out on your own to be really good at specific things and to help resonate with that? Because there's a lot of people I think that are out there that are deciding like, do I want a full-time job or do I just want to yeah. do something fractionally on my own? And I think that'll, your, your journey, your journey orchestration might be helping, might help with that. <laughs> well, I, you know, mine goes back to pretty much day one. You know, when I was working at JD Power and Associates, people would ask me, why, what do you do? And why do you, why do you love it? And I, I would say, you know, I, and we've talked about this during this episode. I, I, love taking the time to understand what the issue is, what problems we need to solve. And then I go in and I help the business do just that. Right. And to me, the gratification comes from seeing the end results, seeing the work that we do together to achieve those outcomes. And, and I used to, when I was in the corporate world, I, you know, people would ask me like, why are you still working at 2am? <laughs> 
And I say, because I get the gratification from my clients, right? When I see my clients succeed, because usually, you know, you're working with somebody who's either a cog in the wheel or they're, you know, they're a leader in the organization, but still can be a cog in the wheel. And I want to help make them successful, right? I want to help them do great things. And that's what we do. And that's where I get the gratification from. I still get it today, even with my own business, right? It's the same thing. It's, it's, you know, I, I coach a lot of chief customer officers or heads of CX or heads of EX, right? That to me, when they turn around and they're like, okay, Annette, where you can, you can go now to me, I, you know, and they say, I've, I've got my wings. <laughs> I'm good to go. That to me is very gratifying, right? Because they're, they are, they're good to go and they've, they've learned a lot and they've taken what, what I've taught them and, and used it to do, to do great things within their organization. So, so that for me is, is pretty awesome. I don't know if I answered the whole question, but I know I answered the first part of the question. It wasn't, it was enough in the sense that there's a lot of people who would stay at two and they, two in the morning to work and grind it out, but they're miserable because they have to do the work. Versus you've already, I think your whole philosophy is you've mentioned it several times, traversing things like looking at the end goal, reversing what are the steps in order to get there. And you did it with your own life too. So I think that's kind of the thing that you, to look out for is as you're doing consulting or if you do consulting or work in corporate or whatever you do, it's like, what's your end goal? And then what are the steps in order to get there? And so, but the other, the other thing is, is that we all have to recharge. We can't work in two in the morning every morning for 365 some people have they've crashed and burned so so what have you done you know what do you do outside of work what do you do as hobby and what do you do health wise and it could just be it could be very mundane to you but for other people who are listening it'd be like oh that's a that's a cool little trick or that's a cool perspective of how i can approach not burning out or approach not getting not getting sick as often or or or, and just being healthy yeah And this is, you know, I haven't always, there's one thing that I'll talk about that I've always done. And that is get up every morning and work out. And that is my sanity every day, right? Go to the gym, I come back and I'm refreshed and I'm ready to, you know, see the day and seize the day. But, um, there's something that I, that I've done that for years. You know, I, I little secret, I was a competitive bodybuilder back in the nineties. So, so that is my life, right? That discipline stays with you. At least it stays with me. Um, and I was very active. I was in sports when I was younger and everything too. So that part is, is it's ingrained in me. The other thing that I've never been really good at, and I've always been at companies where at the end of the year, I've still got my vacation time, my sick time, everything is (laughs) still in the bank there. I've not used it. Right. Well, just in the last couple of years, um, and it didn't even have anything to do with COVID, but just in the last two, two and a half years, I've taken the time to once a month have a three or four day weekend or, and go somewhere. Right. Um, and, and that's been, I was more productive doing that than I've ever been working until 2am. So that's a, that was a great lesson for me. The other thing, you know, I'm, I'm very active. So it's, you know, it's paddle boarding, it's hiking, it's biking, it's just doing outdoorsy things um, is, is a great way to just, you know, stay healthy and sane as well. So, and, you know, love to get, love to read, love to go to concerts, love to do all of these kinds of things to just get out of the house and, and out of the office and, and recharge. So really important lesson is if you think working till 2 a.m. is the answer, <laughs> it's not. It's not. You'll do much better if you recharge because the work that you're doing is going to be there next week as well. So 
Absolutely. Well, it goes back to the adage um, when you're in grade school or your middle school or even high school, like you have a math yep. problem and you just can't get it. And then it's like, right. oh, I walk away and then I come back and you have exactly. a new perspective. And I think that goes into this whole episode is a a good perspective on your end goal for your, your customer experience. It's, 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 it's inside out from a company outward, but on the opposite spectrum, you said like, don't start, you know, flying the plane and build it, like right. figure out how you want to build a plane, build it, then fly it so that you get to the destination, you're focused. And I think it goes even to your bodybuilding stuff too. It's like, okay, I'm just going to lift this massive weight then hurt myself versus like, no, I'm going to get to this point I can lift and I can tone and I can do different things yeah. and I have a plan to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. That's a great way to sum up the episode and you put it all together very nicely, but it's true. It's very true. So th yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Annette, thank you so much for being on this episode. For having me. And to all the Converge coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. <laughs>